Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hey, Caitlin. We went on a road trip. We did. We drove down to D.C. Yeah, I drove. Our nation's capital. I drove, and you sat comfortably. Um, I DJ'd. Let's let's not minimize my role. We went to go see one of your friends and one of the nation's most amazing, I would say, female leaders, Kirsten Gillibrand. We did. Senator Kirsten Gillibrand from New York. Uh, It's one of my friends that I've known for about five to six years now. Uh, Met Kirsten... um, When I was playing world team tennis down in uh, Washington, D.C. for the Castles, and uh, I went and played tennis with her. And she's just an incredible person. We've remained friends. Uh, She is a bit of a yenta to me. We didn't even get into this, into the... In, in our story of talking to her was uh, that she actually set me up on a blind date one time. Yeah, she's w- a bit of a matchmaker. within three weeks. Um, I kind of laughed when she said, I'm a bit of a yenta, I'm going to set you up. And I said, oh, yeah, okay, Senator. Um, and she really did. So, And since then, uh, the story begins that we don't need to get into. But um, I always laugh when I, I see her or meet her or talk to her because it's always hard for me to say Senator because I always think about the line in Silence of the Lambs. So, you know, when when Anthony Hopkins says, hey, Senator, love your suit. <laughs> so I always get a little bit weird calling her Senator because I think about that. But um, Well, she did when we interviewed her. She did wear a power suit. She did. She had us in her. She camp. had a dress, actually. She had a power dress. With a jacket. We talked about her. We were we met her in D.C. in her election uh, campaign office. She was wearing a power dress when we met her at her campaign office in D.C., and mm-hmm. we talked a little bit about her re-election efforts. She's running for re-election in November. She is. Her tennis career, she played high school and a little bit of college tennis and squash, which I love. Yeah, and uh, there's a few things that I don't want to say now because I was so surprised when she said them in the podcast about her tennis you know, um, past. But also, um, she's an incredible fighter for equality, women's rights in particular, getting women off the sidelines is her name of her super PAC. And she raises money purely to get women candidates elected to Congress, to the Senate, into politics. She wants women off the sidelines. Don't talk about it. Don't say you wish you could change. Here's here's what I'm going to be able to do for you. I'm going to raise money for you. I'm going to give money to you to get you off the sidelines and into the actual political system to make changes as women. And what I liked about our conversation was linking the experience that women have playing sports and their ability to lead and then, you know, eventually get off the sidelines. And 
so I think, you know, it was really cool to meet Kirsten. I thought she was amazing. I mean, one day, could you imagine her being elected to higher office? Well, she's already a senator. I mean, wouldn't it be great? Obviously, she's going to go for re-election um, in November. Uh, hopefully, she will get elected. And I don't know, maybe one day, wouldn't it be great if we could say she might maybe run for the first female president? I mean, we were close a couple of years ago, but uh, you never know. She'll never be know. certainly one of those. I know that she's definitely high up in the Democratic Party as far as one of the luminary voices. Mm-hmm. Um, she is absolutely the voice of the Me Too mo- movement uh, yeah. long before we had the hashtag Me Too. She was fighting for women's, um, for sexual abuse uh, in the military mm-hmm. and getting it taken out of the change of, chain of command with her bill. We're there and also on college campuses and now she's a leading voice for it in Congress. So she's truly a fighter for women's equality, women's rights and for sexual abuse um, victims. She's, um, let me just say, she's a great person. I know her personally and she's wonderful. What you see is what you get and she really does truly fight for what she believes in. All right. Well, let's listen up to our really, really great interview, I think. she's a great little tennis player. I can tell you that. She's like a human backboard. A human backboard. All right. Listen up for the human backboard. We're talking to, of course, Senator Kirsten Gillibrand. Easy softball question to begin. You were a competitive squash player. Yes, I played squash at Dartmouth um, all four years. And I was a tennis player going to Dartmouth. But during my first tennis season, the squash coach, Aggie Kurtz, approached me and said, would you like to learn how to play squash? And I said, of course I'd like to learn how to play squash. And she taught me how to play, and I loved it. And so I played that season, and then I played well enough that she said, you know, you're really on the varsity team, so would you like to do preseason, but it means you have to choose between tennis and squash. And so I chose squash. But I have recently tried to bring her back to tennis, so... That brings us to how we met. Well, tennis is my first love. So I really love tennis. I love playing tennis, and I've had a really fun time playing as an adult and um, socially. It's been great. So I played world team tennis here for the Washington Castles, which is a very, you know, in team for about three weeks. And Mark Ein, the now owner, co-owner of WTT, forced me to come and play tennis. (laughs) <laughs> was forcing because I was really sick. Remember how I had laryngitis, pretty much you what I sound like now. Talk. Yeah. And um, the, he mentioned who I was going to play with, and I said, well, that's ir- ironic because I'd never given money to any political anybody my whole time of living here, but I had a green card, but I couldn't vote, so I didn't see the point of it. But I'd actually only ever written a check to a se- se- senator from New York who was actually Kirsten. So... It was kind of crazy that I went and played, and that's how we met on the tennis court that first day. We've okay, so take me to that first day. Yeah. So you have played college squash, but your first love was tennis, and then you went I you played JV back. at Dartmouth my first year. So JV. I never was on the varsity level in tennis. We won't hold that against you yeah. for the purposes of this podcast. But if I played today, if I was in school today, maybe I could have. Yeah, do you regret making the choice between squash and No, I, I loved squash. I had a great time. It was really fun, really competitive. And did your squash sort of highs outpace your tennis highs like did you it no like, I'm a better tennis player than a squash player but you just were sort of flexible enough that you could make I like racket sports <laughs> <laughs> she likes individual sports too so I always do this thing Kirsten where I have evaluated somebody when I play tennis with them because it's a little bit confronting sometimes when they play with good players and my observation of you as just a human being in general after that was that every second of every hour, because usually you have only an hour or you're very limited with your time because you're so busy, but 
every second of that hour is it must be utilized at the utmost is that how you are in real life uh maybe but not necessarily i'm busy but i'm busy doing all sorts of things you know i'm either working for the senate for my colleague with my colleagues for my constituents and really trying to bring their stories out so that i can make a difference and change things um, or I'm making breakfast and lunch for my boys or dinner when I get home or cleaning the house or doing the laundry or doing the dishes. Yeah, I mean, so also, I'm busy all the time. So I do use my time as efficiently as I can. Yeah. Uh, what is a normal day for you, like here in D.C.? Uh, Literally, that people have no idea about. Well, um, it usually starts with some exercise. I like to get up early and work out and do something at 530 or 6 in the morning. And then I uh, go home and I make breakfast with the boys. They're getting up at 7, so I make them breakfast. I make their lunches while I'm making their breakfast. I will shower and go to work. I'll drop the kids off on the way. Um, this morning I had a Bible study with a bunch of Republicans, which was very nice, Good very illuminating. Reach, reaching across the aisle. Yeah, reaching across the aisle. Uh, very interesting passage from James about... Um, that it's really hard to be a good person if you're super wealthy and that you have to actually focus on doing good for others, not on philanthropy work, not on, not on your riches here on earth. Mm -hmm. And so that was a very instructive discussion this morning. I enjoyed it. And so, uh, then I typically will go to hearings. Um, one committee I serve on a lot is the armed services committee and they typically have hearings at nine 30 most days. And, uh, we didn't have one this morning, but that would be normal. So I'm here instead. And then we'll have votes, usually around 11. Uh, at, at lunchtime, I'm going to meet with all the members of the Democratic Caucus to talk about what we're doing and what the schedule's like. And this afternoon, um, I might have some other hearings. I'm on the aging committee, so we've been spending a lot of time focused on senior fraud uh, when uh, these criminals take care of seniors. It even happened to my aunt where she got the fake IRS call and say, this is the IRS and you haven't paid your taxes. And if you don't send money right now, the FBI is coming to your door and will arrest you. Doesn't she know that you're her niece that she yeah, probably call you, know, you and say, is for, this legit? For, for a lot of seniors, it scares them. They think, oh, maybe I didn't pay enough. Maybe I got it wrong. And unfortunately, they typically send the money and it's gone forever. So we, we elevate that issue. We also elevate the issue of, of drugs, um, drug pricing, uh, price gouging, yeah. um, really uh, trying to manipulate seniors or not, um, you know, really not provide the health care they need. So drug pricing is a big issue and uh, addiction is a big issue. So we, we focus on that. I might have a hearing on uh, the Agriculture Committee. I do a lot of food stamps on that committee. I might have a hearing on the Environment and Public Works Committee, and that's about clean air, clean water, and keeping our Great Lakes clean, keeping the lakes and rivers and streams in New York clean. It's, it's amazing work, and it's really fascinating, and I feel really privileged that I get to represent the people in New York. Well, that's pretty much every day, like saying Yeah, and then on Friday... Day. When we don't have votes, I typically go somewhere in New York State. Mm -hmm. So this Friday, I'll, I'll go to three different cities around the state uh, and do community meetings. And um, our our uh, issue that we're going to focus on uh, is drug pricing, uh, that the people really feel price gouged and mm -hmm. can't afford basic health care because of it. So we'll talk about that in three different places in New York on Friday. Okay, one of the things I think a lot of people who are going to be listening to this, um, if they're similar to me anyway, and they were a collegiate athlete who's scholarship was paid for Title IX. A lot of the work you do centers around f women in on campus. Mm -hmm. uh, that's something I really wanted to ask you about, especially because yeah. having been a female you know, athlete on campus, 
um, you know, sexual assault in the military, and obviously your super PAC off the sidelines really focuses on getting women in leadership positions. Can you kind of take us through how that sort of became sure. such a sort of pillar of, of the work that you do every day here? So I'll start with off the sidelines because that kind of started first. Um, when I was a young woman in New York City um, working, uh, I was a lawyer. I was really inspired by our then First Lady Hillary Clinton because she went to China and she gave that really profound speech about women's rights being human rights. And it motivated me to get off the sidelines and start getting involved in politics. And I just remember going to my first event and when I joined a women's group called the Women's Leadership Forum, Hillary was the speaker. She looked out into the room and said, decisions are being made every every day in Washington. And if you are not part of those decisions and you don't like what they decide, you have no one to blame but yourself. Wow. And for whatever reason, I thought she was talking to me. And I started to sweat <laughs> and got very anxious and thought she's telling me I have to run for office and I'm not ready. Uh, but it was my wake-up call that I really do want to get involved in politics. It took me 10 years from that moment to actually run for office. But um, during those 10 years, I got really active in getting involved in politics. And one of the things I worked on was... Uh, helping women run for office, uh, not only recruiting women to run, but funding their campaigns, raising money for them. And that really stuck with me. I really thought I did it through a group called, group called the Eleanor Roosevelt Legacy, which trains state candidates and raises money for them. And, and it builds a pipeline. Yep. And I did their candidate training class when I was deciding whether I want to run someday. And it really stuck with me that women's voices do need to be heard. And the fact that we don't have 51% of women in Congress means things like getting a national paid leave plan is much harder than it should be. It means ending sexual violence in the military or on college campuses is much harder than it should be. It means that we still are debating whether women should have access to contraception and basic reproductive rights in this country. And so I really want more women elected, which is why I found it off the sidelines. I wanted to create a call to action to ask women to participate on whatever level they want to participate, whether it's running, whether it's becoming advocates, whether it's donating, whether it's supporting candidates. That was what I created uh, as that call to action. And so over the past six years, we've raised over $6 million for women candidates and over a million just for women of color candidates because we need more diversity as well, which is really, really important to me. And so that's what I do with some of my free time is I really focus on... Your copious free time. Yeah, exactly, yeah. my free time. When I'm not doing laundry. Yeah, <laughs> so um, I work on that. Um, and with regard to these issues that overwhelmingly affect women, what I've learned in my few years in, in Washington is that I hear these stories and they affect me deeply and it propels me to action. And one of the reasons why we need more women in Congress is those stories affect us all differently. Mm-hmm. And so when I was... Uh, on the Armed Services Committee, a friend you know, asked me a couple times to look into this issue. I never really got into it until she handed me a documentary and said, watch this. It was the Invisible War. When I heard those fantastic. stories yeah. of the men and women who were brutally raped, not only then disbelieved, but then retaliated against for reporting, it made me so angry and frustrated that these men and women who will sacrifice everything, their lives for this country, were being so disregarded and so disrespected and so devalued. Mm-hmm. And so that really set me on a path looking at this this issue of sexual violence and where it happens and the institutional bias mm-hmm. against victims in favor of the typically powerful who are often the predators. Right. And so that got me involved in the military. And then two college uh, students came to my office and said, we want to meet with Kirsten. And they happened to both have gone to Chapel Hill and they were both raped. And they both were not only disbelieved, but also retaliated against. And the institutional harm created when these institutions that we love, whether it's the military or our college, don't believe us and don't support us, creates a secondary harm. 
And so they really opened my eyes to what was actually happening on every college campus today. And so I started looking into that issue. The same filmmakers that did The Invisible War also were hearing the same thing. When they were taking The Invisible War around college campuses to show kids this, this documentary, they would come up overwhelmingly after every showing mm-hmm. and say, this happened to us here. Mm-hmm. And so they did a second documentary, and it's called The, Hunt, the Hunting Grounds. And it's all about sexual assault on campus and that film as well. And it highlighted these two young women who came to my office, Andrea and, uh, and, and Annie, and two amazing advocates who are you know, transforming how young women and men can take their own stories and, and really hold these campuses accountable more effectively by filing Title IX complaints matters. I mean, there's been a sea change, and I think getting back to some of the leadership stuff, because I want to get your sort of extemporaneous thoughts, having both been somebody who felt so powerfully moved to start a movement, essentially, but also having had the experience of being an athlete, there's a lot of studies for women that link uh, performance, high performance in sports in college with leadership capabilities and leadership opportunities. And do you feel like... You know, for me, again, having sat and played on a college tennis team, the potential, the the way you understand team, you know, team dynamics and and how to get your voice heard and also how to how to function in a collaborative way with other people. Do you see a lot of links there? There's a lot. And one study that I really thought was interesting, uh, they were trying to assess, you know, why women run for office less often mm-hmm. uh, and also what people's general dispositions are about running for office. And I think that's all changed in the era of Trump. So I think you're having women <laughs> taking these risks and running for office in overwhelming numbers, Good. which is really inspiring. And I'll talk about that in a second. But typically, you ask, you know, 10 young men, can you imagine being mayor someday? Can you imagine being a congressman, senator, president? Nearly all of them, I don't know what the statistic is, you can look up the study, but they say things like, oh, yeah, I imagine, of course I can do that, I can do that, yeah, I can do that well. Mm-hmm. Women, no, they don't. They don't imagine themselves doing those jobs because they'll say, oh, well, I'm not really qualified for those jobs. I'm not really, I don't have the right qualifications. But the one group of women who were more likely to say, yes, I can imagine myself running, were women athletes. And yep. it was something like a 25% increase if you happen to play college sports. Uh, or I think it might have been college and high school sports. And I, I attribute that reason to is one of the challenges of running for office is a lot of time there's fear. There's fear of losing. There's fear of getting beat up. There's fear of the nasty campaign. There's fear of the competition itself. If you've played uh, sports on any level, you know how to win and you know how to lose. You, you've been beat up before. You know you know what it's like to try and put your whole self out there, whole self on the court, and still lose. And it's not that frightening anymore because you've lost a bunch and you've won a bunch. So. The, so the, would you say that you're the a person fear of losing not doesn't afraid. exist? So when I ran, or doesn't exist as much. Mm-hmm. When I ran the first time in 2006, I ran in a two to one Republican district, mm-hmm. and you know everyone except my mother did not think I had a snowball's chance of actually <laughs> winning that race. My mother believed in me, um, and I believed in me, but I knew that win or lose, it was worth the fight. In the same way you play a game, win or lose, it's worth playing the match because. Right. You want to put yourself out there well, and you have to play learn your best. How you when you lost and how you lost and how do you get better? And then you get better. And and so I wasn't afraid to run because I wasn't afraid to lose. Yeah. And I knew that even if I didn't win, I could at least elevate the debate. I could talk about issues that matter to me and my constituents. I could show my interest and dedication to serving others and maybe find a different path. If I couldn't get there elect- electively, maybe I would find a different not for profit opportunity or public service opportunity. 
And so I just knew I wanted to be in that space. And I think you wanted having, to be in the match. You wanted to get. I, I wanted to be in the game. Yeah. So off the sidelines, yeah. off the sidelines into right. the game because I just knew I was built for it. I knew that I didn't mind the rough and tumble of a campaign. I didn't mind when your opponent says nasty things about you because it's really the same as someone just hitting the hardest serve they can at you. Their job is to make sure you lose that point. Mm-hmm. My opponent's job is to make sure I somehow stumble or you know get off message. And so it's just the rules of that particular contest uh, are unique to politics, but they're no different than any set of rules in any sport you play. Well, I think no, also- I've had a lot of people tell me exactly how they feel about me on the court. <laughs> <laughs> and look at you now. Um, I think also the idea that tennis is an individual sport really probably does, com- you know, prepare yeah. you and for squash. That. And squash. squash. The pugilistic nature. It's on your shoulders. It's on your shoulders. It's on your shoulders and it's okay. Yeah. Like, it's okay. So we had Chrissy um, on one of our podcasts, and one of the things, interestingly, from her was that she talked about the Me Too movement. It was really important to her as well. But one thing that she had mentioned is that we're forgetting about the little boys. And she has three grown sons now. You have, interestingly, have two two boys. Um, So how... What do you tell them and how? what's important for you? Because really, Chrissy was like, we need to talk to the little boys and teach them empathy and teach them to love and teach them to be open with their feelings. And that is also part of the problem with, with the Me Too movement. It's not teaching young boys how to treat young girls. Well, no, it's probably one of the good things about the Me Too movement because it's creating the conversation to have those conversations. And so my children, you know, they, they certainly the 14-year-old has already had a lot of discussion about what is consent. What does consent look like? What does it feel like? Uh, you know, what is a healthy relationship? And they're teaching that in in grade school, like fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth grade, as part of human development, as part of health. Mm-hmm. And so, the best schools um, uh, will try to create a curriculum at least around what does consent look like. And hopefully, um, all of our schools around the country will begin to talk about that appropriately for age appropriateness, but talk about what is a healthy relationship. But you also have to recognize boys are also uh, going to be targeted and will be um, uh, assaulted as well. So you have to make sure they understand that it's not okay for someone to grab you, push you, touch you in a way that you are not consenting to. Um, and so that they have the same self-confidence that you mm-hmm. want to give any young girl. Yeah. Um, that she, she, she can define her, her limits herself in the same way a young man should be able to define his limits himself. I also think for my son anyway, who's four, and yours are a little older. Mine are 10 and 14. Yeah, and so thinking about how to, you know, just raise somebody who's expressive in terms of their emotions and being able to sort of navigate the world, you know, men and women mm-hmm. obviously, but especially men, I think you're, you're, you're right to bring up the fact that Me Too is giving us a chance to sort of yeah. reset the dialogue so that men don't So that everybody can have a conversation. Toxic. Yeah. yeah, they don't have to feel like they have to participate in that sort of well, thing. Well, one of the best videos I've ever seen was about uh, whether she wants a cup of tea. And it's, <laughs> have you ever seen it? No. So uh, you'll have to look it up. Sure. But it's basically making the, the comparison. You know, if a woman, um, you know, whether a woman wants to have sex is going to be very similar to whether a woman wants a cup of tea in this respect. <laughs> so if she's asleep, she doesn't want the tea. You can't pour the tea down her throat. If she's passed out because she drank too much, she doesn't really want that cup of tea. And it doesn't matter that she told you yesterday she really wanted the tea. Mm. So don't don't pour it down her throat. So like if you it's really funny because like it just goes into all these examples that um, 
you know. She wanted the cup of tea earlier in the evening, but she just told you she doesn't want the cup of tea. Yeah, when she was falling she down the, the stairs, I uh, <laughs> thought it was not appropriate to give her a cup of tea. Yeah. I love the fact that you're trying so hard to not drop the F-bomb as well, because I know <laughs> you so well, and that does come out from time to time. Yes, you, I you be on your best behavior. I try behavior. very hard not to say it publicly anymore, and I also try really hard never to swear about my kids, because... They are sponges, and they will repeat everything that you say. Well, clearly, you don't think I'm a sponge because, you know, no, you and no. I had a propensity yeah. sometimes. Sometimes, that happens. but that's, you know, yeah. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. I have played tennis with Renee. Uh, Jason Biggs has played tennis with Renee. Chris Everett, obviously, and Petco. You have also played tennis with Renee. Oh. First of all, I want to hear what that is like, because I can tell you what it's like for me, and I'm decently good at tennis. Uh-huh. And for me, uh, it's a, an experience where somebody hits the ball within a foot of the lines every time. Yeah. You, you're locked in, and you're like, I'm doing pretty well. And the second you start thinking that, ten seconds later, you know, it's yeah. all over, and you hit the ball ten feet out. So I think playing Renee is pure joy, yeah. uh, because she hits the ball back to you every single time. She's not only a human backboard, but <laughs> she um, also knows your limits. So, you know, she's not going to go to the line, to the line, to the line, because she knows, well, I won't get to the second one. <laughs> I won't get to the first one, yes. but I won't make the second one. So she's she's very cognizant of, of whoever she's playing with and what our abilities are, I think, and she's very kind in, in the way she plays. Yeah, she's very patient. And does she coach you? Uh, yeah, anytime I'm getting something fundamentally wrong, she'll just say, yeah, I just watched it two seconds longer. I was like, oh, yeah, that's all I need to do. So she's very perceptive. She can see, you know, whether your weight's on the right foot. She can see how you're, you know, she sees everything. She's yeah. a real player, obviously. Now, here's the second part of this question, yeah. because Renee is dying to talk. Shocker. No, no, I just want to let everybody know that there's been the consensus of patience amongst my my tennis skills, but that is not one of my patients. Is not yeah, my skill off of the court. Yeah, but if she's playing just with somebody she likes, it's not a match. She's yeah. delighted to be patient. So. Yeah, she's that's patient. true. She's, she's delighted, delighted. To, uh, with those Absolutely. she cares after. I suppose. And oh, it's, there it's, you go. She's that's great to play with, and she has beautiful strokes. And I also like playing with her because I watch her hit the ball, and I try to emulate it. So anytime I'm getting my motion a little wrong on the forehand or my server volley is not quite right I can just watch how Renee and I'll ask her I was like can you just do that three more times and I'll watch her and I'll watch her and I'll watch her I was like okay I can try to copy that 
So I, it's like it's a it's a built-in lesson, and it's so wonderful. Oh, I know. I feel like people would be paying for the privilege that I get to just have totally. I mean, I feel ever. lucky that I ever got to yeah. play with her ever. So okay. So here's the second part of the question, and Renee's dying to jump in, but I'm not going to let her yet because she has a philosophy that she can see into people's souls when yes, she plays she with them, and yes, I think that's true. She totally. diagnosed me in a second. What do you think she will say about you in terms of your personality, your soul? Having played with you before we let her, I think give the she, I think she would see that I try really hard, mm-hmm. and that I never give mm-hmm. up, and I don't mind working hard. I think those are probably three things you would see. Doggedly determined. Yes. Doggedly determined. Doggedly determined. Okay, expand on that. She's a bit of a backboard, actually. I try hard. There's no question that there's <laughs> the, the the ball. We usually when I play with people that are okay, I usually have to bring a lot of balls, mm-hmm. but I don't with uh, the senator. It's like it's like three or four balls, and then we're good. Yeah. And she's uh, she likes to make a lot of shots. So I'm thinking like Arantxa. She's Sanchez. the opposite of you, actually, Caitlin. <laughs> I, Caitlin I, gets I, in about three ball rallies and then decides she's going to charge the net and try and hit a winner. Whereas you are, I want to keep you're, it you are yeah. absolutely trying to hit fifty balls in a row. Whereas Caitlin knows that she can't hit fifty in a row, so she just thinks she's going to hit a winner on everything. I like to hit fifty in the what row because if I only play for like forty five minutes, I'm trying to get a good workout. And I want to get my form down. So, and hitting the ball right means you not only have to swing properly, but you got to get your footwork good. So, a huge if you can hit fifty balls in a row, like you've just crushed that workout. Okay, like so there's there's literally you're probably dripping from toe, head to toe. You're totally right. That is completely right. Everything that everyone just said, I do not play that way at all. I'm a like a maverick lunatic. Like here's a. But you like to hit a winner. Of course I do. Oh yeah. Want to be flashy, particularly at the net. Yeah, I want to finish the net. I'm a serving volleyer, just unfortunately. She is a serving volleyer. You know, retriever's body. But that makes me feel like your favorite players in history, and yeah. tell me if I'm right or wrong, Borg, Arantxa Sanchez, Amanda Kutzer. Like, where, when you watch tennis, maybe as a kid, maybe when you were... So as a kid, so yeah, I'm 51, um, so as a kid, I wanted to be Chrissy Ever. Like, that. she was the epitome of women's tennis when I was starting. Um, and so I, a lot of my shots are just like hers, like, cause that was the training at the time. True. True. Um, true so fact. like, you know, today's forehand, you, you do this and you end up way up here. Chrissy Everett was sideways mm-hmm. and here every time. So do you have an I'm just, I'm just noting that, yeah. that, uh, I'm, she's off out of her I'm chair my demonstrating her forehand. The senator has <laughs> given us a demo. Can we have the back end up please? Yeah. So I did a two hander and yeah. I'm, I'm just way down and I that like, like just like Chrissy. Yeah, it was yeah. so that was how you, and also that was the state of the art teaching at the time. You have to recognize that's how we were taught. I mean, any tennis camp you went to at that age, you were taught those swings. And I was an instructor, so I. Wait, 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 wait. How did we miss this up until now? So I, I did. You were an instructor at the tennis yeah, camp. Yeah, yeah, I did tennis camps as a kid. So and I was an instructor. So I was a kid going to camp, and then when I was in college, I became a camp counselor. Amazing. So I worked at the Adidas camp, tennis camp. Um, at Dartmouth College before okay. I started at Dartmouth, sure. and that was a blast. And I was an assistant pro at the local tennis club um, near my house today, and so I ran the kids' program, so I taught tennis. But I, we, we only taught in the way Chrissy played. And so now that I, when I find a coach now as an adult, they help improve my swings by making them a little more dynamic and fall through more. And I, and I do that, but she will remind me, like, fall through more. And I was like, oh, yeah, you're right, because I was taught. The Chrissy Everett method. And what do you like as a coach? What was your sort of discipline? Fun, patient. Don't tolerate terrible swings. Make them do it again. Like I can't stand coaches who let you swing poorly. Like 
When I watch my little boy, yes, I can't Why don't every, stand what, it. You need to have a conversation with coaches about that. I know. So, so I, I watch Henry take his tennis lessons. He's only 10. And when his coach doesn't correct his swing, I literally get up and say, Henry, come over here. <laughs> I correct his swing for him. You get in the middle? I just pull oh, him off. Because there's right like eight kids on the court. So like I just say, Henry, no. I give a little guidance. But we, we had a really good time. This Florida, there's a public court right near us when we go visit my mom in Fort Lauderdale. And it had an amazing kids program. And it's literally just a public park near her, where her condo is in Florida. And so um, there was a terrific coach there this year when we went down. And Henry was taking lessons. And Theo was taking lessons. And, you know, her advice was she goes, because there's one secret to tennis. And so I, the kids took a couple lessons before I was able to join them because I had work. I had boats or something. And I come down. And they're like, don't tell mommy the secret. Don't tell mommy the secret. Because they wanted to have this advantage over me. Because <laughs> they want to be you. Yeah. So, so the secret, of course, is watch the ball. And, oh. and so, <laughs> but it, to, to tell it to as a secret to a ten-year-old or a fourteen-year-old, um, it really helps because when they do mess up their strokes, it's almost always because they're literally not watching the ball. And so, this one obvious coaching tool was fantastic for my children. And so. She would only ask, did you watch the ball that time? No, I didn't see it. Did you see the ball this time? Oh, yeah, I did. That's why it was so good. So it was a really good fundamental, and she was just really good at the fundamental. So I then the next day took a lesson with her so she could work on my fundamentals a little bit, which was a blast. Now, sadly, mm. you've now... You're injured currently because we yes, could have I played tore tennis my today. Plantar fascia. It's well, a tear. Yes, um, I'm supposed I, to wear this book boot for six weeks. I'm saying that you're not, not ideal. You're not well, I'm not walking. I'm okay. Oh, okay. Sit okay. With okay. We're not trying to get you trouble. Well, because no, no, I, I, take, I only need to wear it when I'm walking. Oh, that's true. Yeah. I you did text me. Um, yeah. And so I'm playing on it. So sadly, so, here tell it. You can tell the story. So I I was so excited. I found a coach that that was really good and we were having our first lesson me the coach and a friend who was about my my level and I'm playing as hard as I possibly can as well as I possibly can and within an hour I'm like my both my feet are screaming at me but one foot is screaming more and so I stopped playing I was like I need to I'll do some serves but I can't do any more running and I just thought I pulled it and so I rested for two weeks and I just didn't I didn't run on it I just took it easy but I went to Pilates and I went to softball practice and I played tennis two weeks later and it was sore but it wasn't as screaming but I thought oh it's, it's it's just still sore continued with the Pilates and softball and not getting better four weeks later and then the, I went to a podiatrist and they said we need an MRI and they wait said, wait you but I was your podiatrist I know. she was like to she diagnosed me in a minute over she's like yeah you pulled your plantar fascia so you sent a note to Dr. Stubbs Yes, and I said, Renee, what is my this? Foot hurts. That was your question yeah, tonight. What is this? Why does this hurt? Yes, my foot. Because it was said, the muscle right under the heel. Then and I got a picture. And she sent me the plantar fasciitis picture. I did send her the anatomy yeah. of the plantar fasciitis. What does that look like? Is it just it's like under your heel. The under attachment your of your heel. But is it like a ball? Yes, in a knot. And right. it's in a knot. And it's so nice. she said ice it, which I did. And so all the stuff I was doing, because she told me to, really helped. So I was elevating, I was icing. I wasn't running or walking. I was. I had to walk, but I wasn't running. And I just was th- assuming it was a pull. But unfortunately, I got the MRI and it was a tear. And so now I'm told I've got to be in this boot for six weeks. Mm. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, but when you recover, presumably I'm playing. You're, you're back on She's the court. She's coming back. Yeah. She's going to come and play with me. Coming back here. Yeah, and I'll start playing with that coach again. Great. 
Because I, I really love playing tennis, and clearly, it's it's one of the best workouts you could ever have. And you're giving the gift of tennis to your kids. Well, so Henry likes it. Theo is now a squash player, so <gasps> they've both been exposed to tennis. And Henry's not been exposed to squash yet, but we, I, Theo took lots of tennis lessons in tennis camp every summer, as whatever he could do. But I exposed him to squash about four years ago, and he just—it's always about the coach. Mm-hmm. The squash coach was about so coach. good. Yeah. He just loved the coach, so he loved the sport. And we've not found a great coach for them in DC. It so. is about the coach. I, I mean, all, I, when we're upstate, we have um, you know the local coaches, but they're not as—they haven't—they haven't. There's been no—you find one coach a lifetime, that, and so what I had in Aggie Kurtz was that coach of a lifetime. She was just such. An inspiring coach that she made me want to play squash because she was the squash coach. Yeah, it's so, so true because I tell that to people that ask me often about, well, how do I get my kid interested or what's really important? I said, well, when you're young, it's really important to have a coach who's super enthusiastic as well mm-hmm. because and I had that like, and, and pushes you in the right way. Yeah. Like yeah. you need a coach that inspires you to leave it all on the court. Yeah, and, and takes and makes it fun, especially yeah. when they're young. Yeah, I agree. It's really important. And my coach was super disciplined, great with strokes, but he was really fun. And he was funny, and he used yeah. to drive us to, like, country tournaments. So I was that, that kind of coach. I, you drove to yeah. country tournaments? Yeah. Well, well, you were so, the fun so, coach. Well, well when I was young, um, our coach, when I was in Albany, um, one of our coaches in the summer, he would take us on trips in my mother's station wagon. So we'd not only play the other teams around the capital region, but we'd take a... a a day trip to Boston or something. And yeah. so he made it really fun. And so all summer long, all I would do was play tennis because my coach was fun. So you are running for re-election this year. This mm-hmm. is an uh, this is a election year for you. Are yeah. you going to be taking your rackets on the campaign trail? Like, is this part of your... No. Deal? Can you Probably do that? Not. No. But I can play, you know, when I'm home. Mm-hmm. Um, like you're in Oneonta and then here's a racket yeah. and then like a little hit with a pro. No. 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 Is that because you've got zero time in the day when you're doing this? It's yeah, and you have to find a player to play with you at six a.m. And I, like next to zero players want to play with you at six a.m. <laughs> well, that's so. actually what happens to us when I'm ever in a city or a town or something with uh, with the senator. Uh, so I'll say, do you want to play tennis? She goes, I'd love to, but you could have to play at six a.m. She's like Steffi Graf well, in that one. Yeah. And I'm like, Sometimes I can play after I bring the kids to school. So mm-hmm. it's really got to be before or after, and that's the most awkward time for everybody. Yeah, six a.m. Right. is too early, and eight thirty a.m. is too late. You're threading so, the needle there. Yeah, so eight thirty is fine for me. Yeah, so you that. and I play at eight thirty. That's yeah. when we play. When I don't when I don't have a hearing that's too early. If my hearing's at ten, I can do an eight thirty tennis. So I've got a great idea. Why don't we mm-hmm. send Renee on the road on the campaign trail oh. like Hunter S. Thompson? Just play tennis, yeah. Yeah, instead of. Well, she does have a day job, but I don't know that she could sacrifice. It depends on what time of the year, because I could fit it into my schedule. Yeah, so. Just saying she's available. Okay, it's good to know. When's the election? What date? No, November. First week of November. All right, so I'm pretty available after September. November 6th. I'm usually after pretty good after the US Open, so. Yeah. Okay, you've got to coach for eight weeks if you want it. Oh my gosh. But but I'm going to be really. It's 6 a.m., might be a little tough for me, but I'll do it for you. Well, you can also play at the end of the day, but that's like 8.30 or 9. That's usually when I like to have a glass of wine. Yeah. Or tequila, if we're honest. Let's keep that to ourselves. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Senator, we're going to lose you soon to a vote. Yeah, I've got a couple more minutes. They're going to call it 11, but it lasts for 15 minutes. So So you like just wander in there? You can just, you just, you don't, you just need to be there within the first, actually 20, because they hold it open, but. With your boot? Yeah, so I'll leave it. I can leave in five minutes. We can have a few more minutes. Um, we're I'm done with all of our questions. Yeah, I'll go and the only th- unless you have any more. 
And the only thing I want to get is a shot of you both with a Polaroid for Love to have that. If and you can keep it. Yeah. If I can take a picture of it. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah? Should we do it? Yeah. We don't have to wait to, like, like look at our phone. No, yeah. you have the physical, tangible, uh, you know, you can put it on the wall next to what I assume is a child's illustration over there. Yeah, these are old pieces of Henry, but I'll get more. He's yeah. a, he's, he, he used to be a very fond of artist. He's quite the artist. He could maybe do an, an, a, Someday. a cover, cover Send racket magazine. New York, he'll be an art intern. For yeah, exactly. Project. When he's uh, older. Before, before we're done, um, who's your favorite player now? Yeah, you're watching any. Anybody sort of resonate? I know it's a little tough for you because you're a little busy. Yeah. But if you had to pick well, one Well, Serena's part... pretty amazing. So just watching Serena. And she's... Is she a New Yorker? She's a New Yorker, isn't she? No, she's mm-hmm. uh, was born she in, in California. Uh, lives she was born in, Florida. in Saginaw, Michigan. Oh, for you're right. Correct. Grew up in L.A. and now lives in Florida. So I, maybe she's I think Federer is great to watch. I love watching him. Um, but I don't follow it as well, so I don't know a lot of the up-and-coming players at all. Um because I might catch, like, a few matches during Wimbledon, right. maybe one match during the French Open if I happen to be watching TV when it's on. Yeah. So I just don't, I don't, I don't have enough time to watch real tennis um, as often as I'd like. Um, I'll definitely try to make a, at least a maybe one, one U.S. Open. When, when the world team tennis travels around the country, that's kind of fun. Yep. I can sometimes grab a match here or there. Yeah, you've got a good local team now, the New York Empire. Yeah. Uh, is getting yeah, I'm going to try to catch one of the yeah. matches this summer. Yeah, and the Washington the wander days. off to the Washington Castles, which is even closer. Well, you're here in if it's a vote day, I can uh, I can see New York Empire. I already checked their schedule. They're going to be in Washington twice, and one of them's a vote day that I'm here, so I might be able to actually watch it. Look at you! There you go. Yeah. On your I hunting. checked. I checked. I, I I I love watching tennis. I just don't have a great deal of time. But that team tennis is really fun. For someone as busy as you, the fact that you're working on your strokes and checking schedules of oh, no, she has a coach. is pretty great. Yeah. She told me last time we, one of the last he's times just we the, spoke. He's at the local public courts, uh, the, the local public courts, and he's really nice. And he's uh, just a, he's he's got a day job. He's he's in government. Uh, I think he works at Social Security. <laughs> like he has a real job. But on the weekend, he's a former college player, and so on the weekends he teaches uh, 3.5 to 4.0 practice group. And so I'm trying to get good enough so I can be in that group and feel like I'm not slacking. Well, I highly doubt that you'll be slacking. Yeah, somebody tells me you will be slacking. Yeah, but I got injured right when I was supposed to go. I was supposed to... I had a spot in the clinic and everything. Sad. Thrill of victory. That's right. I'm hoping that the foot will be better. We'll play in July and then we'll take it on the road. Yeah. Take it on the road. Get get you reelected. And then you're going to be ready for that 3.5 clinic. Yeah, good plan. Yeah, I'm trying to get you to the four. I plan. I'm. I'm. It's three point five two four two four. So it's perfect. Yeah. I've watched the four point oh to four point five. I you would can need take to. Them? No, I would need to improve to really play at their level. Oh wait, but let's get this on the record. Are you the best female center tennis? I don't player? know. There is one other oh. that's quite good, Who and is? that's Shelly Moore Capito. Oh. She's quite good, and I, I don't know if we actually played a match. She might beat me. We... I, I don't score that well. I'm really great at practice, so should we, terrific. Should at you practicing. throw that gauntlet down to her? Well, no, because she's on my softball team, and so she is my third baseman. I need her to be and what's your play the best at all times. I'm pitcher uh-huh. and left fielder, so Got I it. do two positions. Um, we have two pitchers, which is awesome, and so I usually pitch a few innings, and then I do outfield a few innings, mm-hmm. and we all feel very good about it. Amazing. So, but right. softball's fun, and, and this softball match we do play raises awareness for young survivors of breast cancer. And so if you're under 40 and you're listening to this, just know that you too can get breast cancer. So not only self-exam is really important, 
but um, just making sure you're really aware that you are vulnerable. And so we raise awareness. That's we, you, Caitlin. We play for survivors. Um, I'm, play, I'm playing for my girlfriend who just survived breast cancer. Um, my, you want to give her a shout-out? Alessandra Rand, uh, right one Alexander. of my best friends from high school, and she uh, she has survived. So we're very, very I'm very proud of her. Um, and so it's really fun. And so the game, if anybody wants to come, it's going to be June 21st. <laughs> It's in Washington, D.C. at Watkins Elementary School, and we play the D.C. Press Corps. And they're all typically 10 to 20 to 30 years younger than us, so they are faster, uh-huh. but we tend to be more competitive. Do you know. think that there's any part of them that wants to maybe let you have a little bit of a no, decent game to get a better time. interview? No, they beat us last time. They, they, like, if we've played 10 games, this is the 10th. Uh, I think we've only won three times out of all out of oh. out of the nine that we've had. This will be our tenth. So we don't win very People often. People like you, she would have been playing. But yeah, last My last year it was only one zero, so it's not yeah. like we got crushed. I mean, yeah. it was close. And there uh, was absolutely no offense from your team. You don't put it in spot. That's a yes. That's not true. No, I hit the ball zero. very far. You got zero. Yeah, I know zero. But we had a good offense. We just didn't score. So there's not no offense. It's about scoring. It's about winning. And that's it for this episode of the Racket Magazine podcast. Thanks for listening. Our host is Renee Stubbs. Our co-host and producer is me, Caitlin Thompson. Music by internationally renowned DJ Stretch Armstrong. Thanks to Tim Ruggieri, Taylor Dalton, and the team at Acast. Find us at racketmag.com slash podcast and subscribe to us at any of your favorite podcatchers. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.